you had a good night and are ready. I am uh, day one. I don't know what uh, what number this is, but our our very first day admonition was successful. I'm still getting emails or texts last night excusing. Please excuse me, Pastor. Don't make me sit in a pink chair. So. That message came through loud and clear. That's really good. There is a there fear is the a the uh, what's that? That's the fear of the pink bonnet. Pink, the fear of the pink bonnet. bonnet. Yeah. I uh, I, I'm, I can be persuaded by ridicule. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, there is a good aspect to, to accountability, isn't there? Um, you uh, you have certain expectations for for others. And um, you should have expectations for yourself, those according to the scriptures. And we invite other people in our lives to, you know, to help us um, be faithful. Um, we are still this morning in the topic of discipleship in these the, the foundational uh, part of of grace and granite. We're going to be finishing up discipleship this morning. Uh, I got a little uh, three minute video we'll look at in in a minute. I'll tell you when we get there, it is, uh, it's going to start right in. So, um, last time, um, we, uh, I was, I was convicted, um, by, uh, by the analogy that was given about love. You know, the, the, the preacher was talking about the expression of love that he had for his wife, uh, as a girlfriend. And then, um, and that's the reason that he wanted to spend time with her. It's the reason he wrote a letter to her. And then he really just, just, drove a stake in our hearts about uh, is that the way we feel about Christ? Because discipleship and what we do in bringing others to the Lord and helping others mature in the Lord has everything to do. It flows out of our love for Christ. You know, it's not something that we you know we 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 grudgingly do. Um, it's a it's a joyful walk. It's been described in a number of different ways. Uh, one beggar showing another beggar where he found bread. Uh, taking them by the hand and, and bringing there a lot of different a lot of different analogies. So last time we talked about the motivations behind that and what would keep us from from obeying that command. Uh, some pitfalls. Um, this morning we're going to be looking at what what is discipleship. What are the four components that that make it up? And we'll talk this morning about maybe some some bad ideas that that are already in your head or, or used to be in my head, and I still have to fight against. Of discipleship, whether it's a program or confrontational evangelism, or what does it mean to be engaged in discipleship or creating a culture of discipleship, you know, in in a church? So that that's where we're we're going this morning. Um, but before we get there, we want to pray. And um, so, open your Bibles to to Psalm. What what Psalm should we be on? Today. Ah, the 23rd Psalm. Do we have a funeral here this morning? You typically hear this psalm at a funeral, right? It's not a funeral psalm. It is one of the most precious psalms in, in, in all of the all of the Psalter. Um, it is uh, David's description um, of the Lord. The covenant God, capital L O R D, as as a as a shepherd, shepherd of, of sheep. Jesus picks up that uh, that imagery in John chapter ten, doesn't he? Um, he loves his sheep. He lays his life down 
for a sheep. And a sheep hears voice. They know his voice because he is he's our shepherd. And so here's that imagery, um, which would have not been a normal imagery, I don't think. Um, so let's read and then uh, and then we'll pray. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness, or some of your translations may say mercy, is the said of the Lord will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you uh, just for this time this morning. Thank you for these men who love you and who have uh, been intentional. They've made a purposeful choice to get out of bed and be here this morning to seek you. Um, and to do that together. And we, uh, we thank you that we even have the privilege of doing that. Father, we would not even be able to pray, much less seek you this morning, if it wasn't for the work of your Son. If you had not come and um, been a substitute for us, not only in righteousness, but also in, um, in your death and, and the forgiveness of sins. Thank you, Father, that uh, that you have done that. Uh, he has done that, and and now we uh, we want to know you. John seventeen three. This is eternal life that we may know Him, and we we long to do that. That that's not born of our flesh or from ourselves. Um, we long to know pleasure. We we long to know fulfillment. We long to know. Um, Whatever would, would enthrone us as God and fan the flames of that in our own hearts uh, before we came to know you, but now we long to know you. You have implanted new desires in our hearts. And um, Lord, we want to we pursue those desires. So thank you for, for these men that um, wanted to do that. And, um, and I want to do that this morning, Lord. I, I just pray uh, even even today, for, for your grace, for humility, uh, help us to be teachable. Um, you give grace to the humble, and uh, um, you, you, you look toward, you draw near to a broken and contrite spirit that you will not despise those things. You, and so we, we want to, um, we just want to cultivate that you know, in our lives. So help us as we learn about discipleship. Um, thank you for being our shepherd, not a shepherd, but but our shepherd, and not just our shepherd, but my shepherd. Thank you for that that tending care. Um, 
that that comes in in preparing tables before for me in the presence of my enemies. Thank you that when it comes to a rod and a staff, thank you for your correction. Um, thank you that you uh, don't only have plans in this life, but uh, but in the life to come that we will dwell with you forever. Um, and we win either way. And so whatever time we have on this earth, we want to spend it and be spent for you. Keep our eyes fixed on that, Father. It's so easy with all the distractions and um, and sometimes just the circus atmosphere of life, the the temptations of our own heart to take our eyes off of um, reality, which is Christ. And um, we just don't want to do that. Please help us. We are weak. We are frail. Um, help me to. Uh, facilitate, to teach, grant the ministry of the Holy Spirit, set a guard before my mouth, before our mouths, let us speak what is pleasing unto you, what is edifying to others. Let no man exalt himself, but let all of us exalt Christ in our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Alright, so we're going to jump right in to... Uh, the video, and he's already going to be on about uh, about 60 miles an hour, so listen fast to begin with. This is um, a definition of uh, discipleship. It goes along with one last week. It's David David Platt. <clears throat> Just think about all that we do over the course of our lives, even as Christians, all the church gatherings, all the Bible studies, all the small group meetings, serving in this way or that way, and then ask the question, just ask the question, did, did I lead anyone to Jesus? That's an important question to ask. Now, in a sense, we do this all together every Sunday when we gather, and together in our midst, the Gospels preached and prayed and sung. People come to Christ, which I was shared earlier. But I pray that will happen every Sunday, including today. And I hope you will invite people to come with you on Sundays with that prayer and expectation. But if leading people to Jesus is dependent on only what we're doing when we come into this building or other buildings, other campuses, then we're missing the point. Matthew 28, 19 is definitively not a call for Christians to come, be baptized, and sit in one location. It's a command for Christians to go, baptize, and teach in all nations. Jesus is calling every follower of His to make disciples where we live and where we work and where we play all over the city, all around the world. Chapman goes on to say that every person who is born into God's family is to multiply. So what I don't want to do is for this, so this picture back on the screen of exploring, believing, growing, for that to be the story of McLean Bible Church. We're all growing in Christ, which is good for us, but it's not good for people around us. We're on a road that leads to an eternity without God. What I don't want to do, what I don't think we want to do, is just have a bunch of programs and Bible studies and activities for us to grow in Christ. If we stop there, we miss the whole point and we actually disobey Jesus, which means we may think we're growing, but if we're not multiplying, then we're not actually growing. We're just convincing ourselves that we are with more Bible knowledge while we disobey the one thing Jesus has told us to do before He left the earth. 
So, what is discipleship? We're talking about that in particular. And um, I've got to figure out how to... Uh, I'll just shut it. You know, we, we're talking about how everything has a goal, right? Um, discipleship is, is not optional. It's a mandate. Um, even the gathering this morning is part of discipleship. And we don't just take information in to, to hold it ourselves. But we take it in in order to, to disseminate it, to, to obey, the, obey the Lord. And um, we're talking about discipleship. And that includes making and maturing followers of Jesus Christ. I really like, uh, that actually came from, from Dave Doran years ago. I think we read his book, uh, for the sake of his name, in our missions committee. And part of the, the mission statement of, uh, of, the, of Inner City Baptist Church was not just making, but maturing disciples. And I asked Dave, or assumed that, that one of the reasons they added that, um, that term is because in our minds, discipleship uh, or, or the Great Commission has a lot more to do with, with making a decision rather than a disciple. And so there's this idea in, in, that I grew up with, that you may have grown up with, that there's like two parts. There's the decision, getting someone to say yes to a prayer or to Jesus... And then sometime later, maybe 10 years later, when they really get serious with God, then they become a disciple. Okay? That's a very unbiblical concept. Jesus said to make disciples. Those are followers of His. And we looked at Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We looked at a bunch of other passages. But a disciple is made. There's a, there's a punctiliar moment in which you become a follower. You obey the gospel. You repent and believe. And we, we know that the Lord does the work in our hearts to enable us to do that, but we still, we still do that. We, we repent and we believe. And then we begin to follow the Lord. But that's where it starts. So does, a disciple is made, and then that disciple matures. And that's, that's the process of discipleship. There is a moment where a disciple is made. But then that person enters that relationship understanding that this is where it begins. And then it, it continues on. And so it's making and maturing disciples or followers, if you will, of, 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 Jesus, of Jesus Christ. It's, it's not optional. And we looked last week uh, about... How that that's simply teaching what Jesus taught and, and helping them, them obey. It's not just confrontational evangelism. If you think of discipleship as only passing out tracts or only trying to share Jesus with someone, then that is a, a, a only a part of the, the Great Commission. If you think of discipleship as a program... Or sitting in a room like this, gathering information, and there is no reaching out to lost people or trying to bring the claims of the gospel to them and and and, and sharing Christ with them. Then then you've also got a faulty view of discipleship. It's making and maturing disciples or followers of, of Jesus Christ. So it's not just confrontational evangelism, and discipleship is not a program. It's not a nine week course. Um, 
that's how it was presented whenever I came to Christ. Well, you need to be discipled. And so if you're discipled, we have a discipleship class, and you can take that for nine weeks. So what, what, is that, what does that imply? That implies that when I'm done with the nine-week course, then I'm discipled. And I've completed you know, my discipleship curriculum. And, and, and I don't know about you, but, but I need a whole lot longer than nine weeks to, be, to become a good follower of Jesus. In fact, I need an entire life. In fact, I'm still a disciple. I'm still being matured. I'm still being rebuked. I'm still being convicted. I'm still being encouraged. Um, I'm still falling flat on my face. I'm still forgetting things that I've already learned. I, I'm, I'm still obeying things that I, that I learned before, but doing that um, in, a, in, a, in a pitiful way. <laughs> and what motivates me to do that? Not because I'm doing this in order to get to heaven or, or to please Jesus in some way, that if I do all these things that He's going to be happy with me. I do this out of, out of love for Him because I love Him because He first loved me and, and because of that I love others and so therefore I want others to, to enter that same you know, that, that same type of relationship. So I, I'm willing to be to spend and be spent. And then as I do that, I'm I'm growing in my love mm-hmm. and, and understanding, you know, of, of of him. Discipleship, as we saw, involves imitation. I'm on page eight now. Study two discipleship. We looked last week at what will keep you from from doing that. Something that's not optional. It's really part of the Christian life. Um, the Christian life is not about you. It's not about me. <clears throat> it's ultimately about the Lord. But one of the ways that we make it about the Lord is making it about others. So what will keep us from doing that? We saw ignorance. Um, reticence. Selfish use of time. Indifference. We don't really care. And that's a it's a provoking question. Do you really care about other human beings? Do you really care that they bear the image of God and that's been marred by, by the fall and that through the gospel of Jesus Christ they can be remade? Um, I ask myself that question all the time. Probably need to ask <clears throat> Disobedience. I have a general sense of, of what to do, but I just choose not to do it. It's been clearly taught, but I, but I refuse to do it. So now we're talking about what is it. And discipleship involves four essential elements. Imitation, renovation, cultivation, and confirmation. Now that's a, those are four nice preacher words, right? Sean, yes sir? Uh, you have said, um, do you actually love the the other person. Mm-hmm. I I heard this quote that said, um, "How much do you actually have to hate somebody not to tell them about mm-hmm. the gospel of Jesus Christ?" If you say you believe it, and that like really struck me because it's true. Like your family, your friends, a stranger, you might you, that God you know might put into your life. Like, how much do you really have to hate somebody not to to tell them about that? Good. Love is not just, um, in sin, I should say, it's not just, just commission, it's also omission. So you can love somebody. Um, now let me back that up. You can say, I've really not done anything to that person. 
I'm not I'm not sinned against them in a specific way. And a lot of times what we mean by that is I, I haven't done anything to them. But when you start asking the question, do you, you know, have you failed to love them as Christ commands us, you know, to love them? That's the omission part. Not, I didn't do anything to you, but I really don't care, you know, whether you exist or not. Um, now, and you can go to the Sermon on the Mount, and that's basically what Jesus was doing when he was when he was digging around. You've heard it's all external sin is don't you know don't commit adultery physically. Um, don't do all of these external things, but the law applies to the heart. It's not just what we do, but it's but it's our actions and it is our intentions. That's the iniquity, and then it's the falling short, uh, which is which is sin. Innovation, renovation, cultivation, and confirmation. So we talked last time about imitation. And that's simply influencing others by the way you live and by proactive teaching of the truth. And, and we rebuke this idea of, I think it was St. Francis of Assisi, I'm not sure, uh, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, and how ridiculous that is. Preaching involves words. But you must have a credible life. I think that's that's the good part that you take away. That's, that's what the aim is. So discipleship is your life with God's truth over time, bringing someone to unto Christ, whether that's maturity or or a disciple to begin with. So it's life, truth, time, Christ. Life, imitation, truth. That's the renovation. That's what you have to. That's to take place in your changing of the of the mind, renewing of the mind. Cultivation. That's time. Time and truth walk together. Growth takes takes place over time. And then what's the goal? The goal is maturity in Christ. The goal is that they would become more like, like Christ. And so we looked at the credible life. It begins with imitation, influencing others by the way you live and by the proactive teaching of truth. And we talked about what imitation means. It doesn't necessarily mean following a man. It does mean imitating the teaching and the living that lines up with Christ. He's always the plumb line. So to the extent that you are, are lining up with Christ, with His teaching, and your life's being conformed to that, then that's what Paul means when he says, follow me as I follow Christ. And someone else is, is following you in that journey. So that requires a, a, a credible life. Not a perfect life, but a, but a credible life. What kept me, and I understand I I'm not talking about anthropology now, but what kept me, what what was a, what was repelling to me before I came to Christ, was were not Christians that struggled or that sinned. It, were, it was the ones that pretended that they didn't, that lacked authenticity. Um, I had no problem with someone telling me that they're a follower, but they're blowing it, and and they're acknowledging that, and they're they're working at that, and they're they're repenting of that. What I had a problem with was the ones that pretended, you know, that they didn't have issues. So when we talk about a credible life and a life to imitate, that that could mean a life that's that's being lived in humility at the moment. I am repenting of sin. I am battling sin, and you're honest, you know, about that. But that that's what it looks like. Um, and yet you can never take them further or deeper than you are willing to, you know, to live. 
so they're not going to uh, um, to fight against temptation, laziness, fearfulness, resistance. Um, if you're not doing the, the same thing, now I want you to pay attention to C under under imitation because I think this this may help you. This essentially means helping people become more like Christ and less like the world. Do not overcomplicate discipleship. Don't let that word automatic. I mean, it's like it's like a, a reset button. When I hear discipleship, my mind immediately goes to program. My mind immediately goes to a system of things, and it's. Simply helping people become more like Christ and less less like the world. It's people work. It's done by others. It means coming under the word. What does it mean to be a Christian? Um, Matthew eighteen, the the church discipline passage. Um, I love this example. Because we are, if our brother falls into sin or we fall into sin, someone is to come and show us our fault, right? And that's what it says. So you automatically think that you know this is this is a corrective passage, and, and it is. But notice in Matthew 18, and you're thinking about that even now. There's not a list of sins. You don't do that whenever they have, you know, gotten drunk. Or whenever they've they've embezzled money, there, there's like the big sins and the little sins that we think in our mind. What does it say? If your brother sins, then show them their fault. You how do you show them their fault? You you lay out the case. That's the idea of laying out the case from the word. And if they hear you, then you gain the brother. And if they refuse. To hear you, then then take two or three witnesses, and if they'll hear them, or if they refuse to hear them, I should say, then it ultimately goes to the church, and we understand that there's it's a larger uh, group of witnesses. And what's the purpose in that? It's confirming the truth, and the idea of turning uh, from being needed, being confronted to being back in line is they're willing to hear. And then it comes all the way back from the from the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, um, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He's not just saying hear, like hear information. What's it mean? It means hear and obey. Hear to the sense of, of submitting to that. And so it's a passage for Christians. And being a Christian is not just getting your get-out-of-hell-free card and I go to heaven. Jesus is my Savior. He is Christ and He is Lord. And how do you live under the Lordship of Christ? You, 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 you live under the Word. So when you get out from under the Word, your life gets out from under the Word, another brother comes back along and brings the Word back over you. And if you will hear, if you'll submit to the Word, then you're acting like a believer. That's what a believer does. They submit to the Word. They come under the Word. They, they're willing to hear the words of Christ because Christ is Master, He's Savior. And if, if they won't hear, you bring the Word over them and they go, uh-uh. And somebody else comes along and goes, no, 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 no. That, that's what the Word says. This, this is not our opinion. This is not just what Timberlake Baptist Church says. This is what Christ said. Christ is your Master, right? He's Lord, right? Yeah. And if not, then a larger group. 
you know, does that. So it's a matter of, of, of hearing the hearing the word. So it's people work done by others coming under the word. You are simply in discipleship or in relationships with others. You're simply getting under the word yourself, learning. So you don't know everything in this book. You haven't perfected everything in this book. So as God brings new truth from this book and presses it on your heart, you get under it. Yes, I see that I'm willing to obey it. And then you say, come here, let me help you get under it. You know, here's this principle that, that, that God teaches, this truth that God teaches. So you're helping people come under the Word. And when, when, they, when they, they fail to be under the Word, whether it's in disobedience or ignorance or whatever else, then you're going to them and you're taking the Word and you're placing the Word over top of them. And if they habitually refuse to submit to that, then they're not acting like a believer. That's what Matthew 18 says. When, you know, as the authorized version says, let them be unto thee as a heathen and a publican. What does that mean? It means that you declare functionally that they're not acting like a believer. Because a believer is not just what we say. What's First John say? If we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet live our lives in darkness, we're a carnal Christian. Is that what it says? It says we lie, and we do not the truth. You'll know them by their fruits. Fruits have nothing to do with coming to Christ, but if you come to Christ, then, then fruits are evidence in your, in your life. And so... You can't make the final judgment of their heart. Only God can do that. But you're called to make a functional judgment. And you say, brother, function. You're not functioning as a Christian. A Christian comes <laughs> under the authority of Christ. And this is His Word. And this is what He says. And so we obey that. And I obey that. And you want other people to do that. I want somebody to do that to me. Dear God, if, if, if you brothers see me out from under the Word, I want you to love me enough to say you're not under the word. Now obviously there's there's a kind and appropriate ways to do that. You know, the gospel is offensive, but you don't have to be a jerk in the way that you that you that you communicate it. And so how does Christ bring us under the word? I mean, he's a gracious master, isn't he? He's a kind shepherd. And yeah, sometimes he he, he, he rods us. <laughs> uh, staff, he takes us to the divine woodshed. But even that, we know, it's, it's fatherly discipline. He doesn't do it in harsh anger. Um, he does it in fatherly discipline. So we do that with one another. Um, and obviously, you have to be under the Word yourself in order to bring somebody else under the umbrella of the Word. You're not saying, hey, go over there and get under the Word. You know, you're you're saying, come under the Word with me. Um, and that's discipleship. You're, you're helping people become more like Christ and less like, the, less like the world. So it's people work, not program work. It's people work done by other people that are also growing in their relationship. And everyone's coming under the Word. And the goal is that you become more like Christ. You become more obedient. Now, when you hear the word words more like Christ, I don't want you to think, you know, WWJD or whatever, you know, that Jesus is some philosopher, that we're aligning our life with him, you know, so we, we're going to help the poor, we should help the poor, we're going to do all of these things like you see in social gospel aspects. Becoming more like Christ. Christ is formed in us. As the Word, as we appropriate the Word, as we understand it, our minds are renewed, 
the being happens and then practice follows. Remember where we started? Show me how a person lives, what they do in their life, and I will show you what they believe. And what they believe is tied to an authority. So the authority for us is the book. It's Scripture. God's Word. So that's the authority. That's our source. That's our fountain. So we go there. That's our authority. And then we, our minds are renewed. We understand it. We begin to believe it. And that grows because you're growing in your understanding. And then that flows into practice. We live. And so that's the process that you're bringing someone through in discipleship. And their minds need to be renovated. They, 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 they need to watch you do that. You're, 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 you're an imitation. So you're under the Word yourself. And you're explaining to them. There was a point in time where this wasn't my authority. The Bible wasn't my authority. It was National Geographic. It's what Grandpa taught me. It's whatever. My life experience. And so I, have to, I, I go through the process of learning. Wait a minute, where did that belief or thought come from? It wasn't the text. It wasn't the Bible. So now I've got a, I've got a competing authority. So I got to tear that authority down and come back to this authority. And and, and, and you're you're showing them that you're telling them that. And then and then the belief systems are growing and un, and understanding. You remember our pyramid start by understanding the Bible, and then you get the tools to learn how to interpret the Bible interpretation. Then you understand the panorama, the big picture, biblical theology, and then you understand in that panorama there are systems of theology, there are doctrines that are consistently taught through the Bible, and you can categorize those, but then the ultimate goal is practical theology. I need to put this into practice in my life. So that's growing. The belief system is, is growing. And then they're, you know, then they're they're practicing that. And don't we boil, a lot of people boil Christianity down just to this practice part? Do you go to church? Do you read your Bible? Do you give? You know, I I don't I don't drink, I don't chew, I don't run with girls who do. And I mean, maybe that was only in West Virginia. <laughs> but we make sin all about the transgression part, what we do. And we don't make sin about the falling short part or the iniquity part, the intentions of our heart that are rebellious and continually evil toward the Lord. And so that's the process. You're bringing people back to the authority. You're forming a, a biblical understanding, biblical belief system, and that's flowing out in your life. And you're just doing that day by day with other people that are doing that day by day. And you're doing that in the church, which is not a building. It's, it's a body. And, and then you're, you're at work and you have other people that, that aren't in that paradigm at all. You get their own authority, their own belief system, and you're, you're bringing them bring them into that process. And then as you're doing that, the Lord begins to work in their in their heart. And a disciple is made, and it's not over there, then they begin to be matured. Renovation. It's a complete overhaul of your reasoning. The passionate pursuit of answers. Now what, uh, don't just blow through those words as, uh, as just a, a flowery definition. They're all purposeful. It's not just answers. It's a pursuit 
of answers. What is renovation? Um, you just went through some, some home renovations, didn't you, Brother Steve? Yeah. In the midst of. In the midst of renovations. <laughs> and I told you about my testimony uh, with Tracy and I. You're still living in the marriage, and you're renovating the marriage. It's a whole lot easier to build the house from the ground up than it is to renovate in the middle of it, especially whenever you have cracked foundation. Now, it might be all right to you know redo the kitchen, and you got the rest of the house, but we we've got a bad foundation. So you're living in the house, and we're living life, aren't we? And so renovation is happening, but it's a pursuit of answers. So it's not just passive. I'm going to come, you know. Go ahead, preacher, bless me today. I dare you. you know, some people come to church like that. Or come to church. If I get something, man, that would be wonderful. He says, a pursuit of answers. Al Muller said that every sermon, you're the catcher. Okay? You're not in the stands observing. You're the catcher. And you're in the stands, and the glove's out, and you're waiting. The pitch is coming. Now, you don't get to be like the catcher and call a curveball or a strike or whatever it is. That's not your job. But God's, God picks the pitches. You're to catch them. The point is you're pursuing God when you come. And then there's a pursuit of answers. And notice there's, a, there's another adjective there, isn't there? It's a passionate pursuit. You passionately pursue answers. You know when I passionately pursue answers? When I have trouble, when I have difficulty, when 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 I have a, a, a need or I feel like it's a need. And God is very gracious to give me needs on a daily basis. And sometimes my heart goes, me and Lord, I've, I've had enough needs this week. I, I'd like for you to give me a little bit of break, but that's God's grace. He knows exactly what you need. He knows when you need a break. He knows when, 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 when you need some, some balm. He also knows whenever you need a prod, you know, to, to get you to do what you should do. Want to be wonderful in heaven where there'll be no temptation and you will, you will, you without hindrance will desire to know of Christ for all of eternity. That'd be a wonderful thing. And whatever you put your hands to, whatever pursuits you do in heaven, will bear the fruit commensurate to the work. I mean, that's part of the curse. Work's not part of the curse. It's whatever you lay your hands to and fight against you, and it won't accomplish what what you intend. And in heaven, whatever you whatever you put your hands to will bear the fruit of that labor, and you'll desire to do that. And there won't be any devil. There won't be any temptation. You'll be able to do that all. I can't wait. I really can't. But until then, a passionate pursuit of answers. So it's a complete overhaul of your reasoning. Your mind is way more messed up than you think it is. <laughs> it really is. Um, there's a talk radio guy that I heard years ago. I don't even know if he's on the radio anymore. He's a nutcase. His name's Michael Savage. You may have heard of Michael Savage. Um. But I always remember he kind of started this little line. Liberalism is a mental disorder, he said. <laughs> you know, I started thinking, I thought that was really funny. It is. Liberalism is a mental disorder. Um, they don't think right. Um, 
depravity is a mental disorder, and I don't mean uh, don't throw rocks at me, brother Mark. I'm I'm not I'm not <coughs> preaching psychiatry, but your mind is messed up. It's broken. It doesn't think right. Depravity affects your thinking and your mind. And your mind has to be renewed. And the Bible doesn't always tell us what to do. The Bible tells us what to think. It tells us what to think about God. It tells us what to think about me. It tells us what to think about reality. You remember the video that the Bible is not a picture or portrait on the wall to look at. It's a window into reality. You get to see reality through the Bible. So you have to look at it through the Bible. Or you, you glaze back over and you see it through the worldly the worldly lens that's, that's there. You need a complete overhaul of your reasoning. Your mind does not work properly. This simplifies discipleship. You're helping others find areas where their minds need to be renovated and to teach them to observe all that Jesus commanded. And God has promised to sanctify them. We heard that passage, Philippians 1.6, on Sunday, over and over and over. Thankfully so. <laughs> he who began a good work in you will, will complete it, will perfect it, he will perform it until <coughs> the day. But God uses means and he uses tools. This is not frog on the lily pad. You know, God, you'll sanctify people. God, you'll save people. So we just sit back and do nothing. You can't find that in the Scriptures. You pursue, you... You, you reach people and, and you, you have to attack the areas of your mind that are out of order. Well, how do you know if they're out of order unless you get in the book or under the book? And then even then, you need other people to help bring you under the book. You need times like, like this morning. So simplifying discipleship is just helping others figure out where their minds need to be renovated and then teach them to observe whatever Jesus commanded in that, in that, in that process, how do you do that? You ask questions. Um, I cannot remember his name. He was a friend of Glenn Matthews. He was a missionary. He was a converted uh, Jew. Jack Reese was his name. Huh? You've had him here. Had him here. Neat guy. Um, but I learned something from him early on in ministry. Wherever I would go, wherever I would go, Jack would strike up a conversation with somebody. He was a waitress. I don't care who it was. And I don't mean just just be nice. I mean he would go from zero, you know, to their life story in five minutes. And I was just. I was just I just marveled at his ability, you know, to do that. And I asked him one time, I said, Brother Jack, how do you do that? And I want to emulate that. I want to learn that. And he said, I just asked some questions about their self. Everybody likes to talk about themselves. I just asked them questions. So I started watching them. That's all he did. You know? Um, how are you today? Uh, where do you come from? What are you doing with your life? Are you in college? What's your major? And then that would turn into more, obviously more detailed questions about, about life. How do you identify areas where someone's mind needs to be renovated? You ask them questions. Ask questions. 
of other people. Be more interested in the other person than yourself. Are you more interested in listening to the other person or are you more interested in, in talking about yourself or to the other person? Um, you know the old adage, my mother quoted it to me on a regular basis, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um, we like to hear ourselves talk because we're all about ourselves. The discipleship clearly has to be, who's Christ about? Well, ultimately it's glory, but how's that expressed? <laughs> about you, about others. So ask questions to see how people think about Christ, about truth, about ethics, about the world, the kingdom, about work, about sin, about marriage. That can be uncomfortable. I can remember the first time I met Pastor Tim White. He took me to La Coretta. <laughs> and uh, this is the first couple weeks, so we're just still trying to get to know each other. And we're sitting there, and he said... Um, you know, chips and salsa. How you doing? Yeah, it's a pretty good day. You know, glad you came. Really looking forward to, you know, just learning from you and preaching. You know, we're doing all the niceties. And he says, um, um, how's your marriage doing? <laughs> it's kind of intrusive, isn't it? Mean, how's my marriage doing? We don't even know each other. We haven't even danced yet. We haven't held hands. And you're trying to French kiss me. That's how I felt. Um, and I learned from Tim. Tim will ask questions. Um, you ought to cultivate that. You gotta let people ask you questions about your life, and you have to ask other people questions. That's a discipling relationship. Keep everybody out here where they really don't know you and really don't know what's going on in your heart. You're doing that um, for pride purposes. That's why I do it. Right purposes. And it, it's a scary thing to let somebody in beyond that, but that's the only way that you're going to grow, and that's the way God's designed it. Life on life. Because guess what? They're just like you. And, and they need to appropriate the word in their life. So you're asking questions. And then help people see what needs to change in their in their reasoning. Questions are not bad if you fix the source to answer them. Don't be afraid of questions. But you have to settle the authority. This is the authority. But there's nothing wrong with asking questions. There's a temptation, especially in fundamentalism, where I came out of, you have to have the answer to every single question. And you definitely have to have it if you're the preacher. And if you don't know the answer, you have to make up one. Or you have to pretend like you know the answer. Because there's this idea that if you don't know the answer, then the sheep are going to go, whoa, he doesn't know the answer. And that's kind of a scary thing. Don't do that. There's all kinds of answers I don't know. But this book has all of the answers the authorities fix. It's got to go here. And I may have to know some things before I can know some things. So it's totally okay. I have no idea how... Uh, I have no idea how to fully explain the concept of the Trinity. I have no idea... How to how to reconcile in your mind sovereignty and responsibility. I know they're both taught. I'm okay with that. Because God's God and this is his book and this is the this is the authority. You can be okay with that with others. You don't have to know every answer to every question in order to do people work, in order to do discipleship, because it's not a program. 
And you don't have to be a theologian in the sense of what we normally think of a theologian to do. You don't have to be D.A. Carson in order to disciple people. It's getting under the Word yourself and bringing other people under the Word with you, and it's asking questions, and then you may say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. Let's study that out together. Where should we go? Well, I don't know. Well, let, let's go out for our small group leader, or let's ask Clay, or let's ask somebody else. If there's a resource, and then we'll look at this resource together, and then we'll test ourselves. And, and then, is there anything in here we need to obey, we need to believe, we need to repent of? And that's just the process that you go through day in and day out. Mark? Pastor, my, uh, one of my pastors that mentored me early on tried to drive home the point of how important the Word was to be under the Word. And he said, remember this, the Bible is the only place that interprets reality perfectly. It's excellent. Not your feelings, not anything else. Not you, what you experience. The only place that, that interprets reality perfectly is the Scripture. The Bible rightly interprets reality. Nothing else. That can be hard, right? Feelings are powerful. Culture is powerful. This past week, I spent at least two or three days, maybe longer, knowing that the response that was in my heart toward my circumstances was not right. And fighting against that, but my feelings never changed for several days. And it was wearying just for two or three days. <laughs> and I found myself going to the Psalms and thinking, How long, O oh Lord, do I have to fight against this? That's what my, my heart naturally did. And then I'm going, What is wrong with you? I mean, you're acting like you're, you know, you're being put on the rack and tortured for Christ because your feelings won't follow your mind, what you know. What do you do? You, you obey. You obey the truth. And then your feelings will catch up with you. But what's the other thing you can do? You begin to obey your feelings. And that will lead you into deep weeds. Um, the Bible rightly interprets everything. So you got to go to the Bible. you got to be committed to that source. Um, and it also helps to have somebody else to bring you back under that and encourage you in that, in that process. Areas of flawed thinking that need change. These are these are just a just a smattering. I'm on page nine now, at the top of the page. What are some areas in your life of flawed thinking that God has changed? Maybe through someone discipling you, someone helping you. So we've got a couple categories here: God, Christ, sin, ministry, the the ministry of the Spirit. What is some flawed thinking? What is it? What's an example of some flawed thinking? That God's helped you already to to overcome. Yeah. No prayers too small. Okay. No mm -hmm. prayers too small. And how did the Lord help you over uh, uh, overcome that? You you're thinking you what you were thinking was only pray about the big stuff. Only pray right. Only pray when you yeah. got to knock that wall down and and the Lord Amen. will knock that wall down. But if you're looking for that that one thing that you yeah. dropped. Thinking that God's too busy to Amen. be involved in my life. That's a perfect That's example. That's a perfect example. Yeah. Rich? Being raised Catholic when I first got saved, there were, as a Catholic, there's venial sins and mortal sins. Mm. There's the small ones and there's the real big ones that will damn you. And of course, I found out from the Word, there's no pass on sin. It's all it's all mortal. It's all, it'll all damn you. Excellent. What else? I'm thinking. Yeah. 
something I've been learning recently, just relearning, I guess, is that um, the gospel goes forward through suffering. You know, God is more for him than he is for us. Mm. And so, like, we can't expect everything. You know, we may outright reject the prosperity gospel and say, oh, that's a lot. But in our hearts, we still expect, like, God, I'm following you. Like, why am I not getting, like, good things or yeah. this or that? So, Amen. Yeah. Reject the prosperity gospel, but then it's very easy to grumble when prosperity uh, blessings don't come. Wait a minute. I'm serving you, Lord. I'm doing the right things. Why isn't this getting easier? Yeah, Mark? Um, one of the ones that shocked me early on was that the, I used to think the flawed thinking was the gospel was a one-time event. Uh, it's excellent. But I didn't realize it's played out in your life your whole life. Yeah. I, I, that's probably the ones for me. You know, the gospel is only to get saved. And the gospel was the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus only. The gospel is what you need to get saved. And it involves the death, burial, death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. But it involves a whole lot more than that. And I need the gospel just as much today as the day that I came to, to Christ. Why would Paul be rehearsing and reciting and going into the depths of the gospel over and over to churches he's writing to? And why does he do that before he tells them, therefore, live this way? Right? He does doctrine first, practice second, because you need the gospel. Somebody else? Yeah. Sin is way bigger than I thought it was. And mm. the more I, I grew, the more I saw my need for Christ mm. on a daily basis. It's just like, man, like I, I, I can't live apart from Christ. I'm done for, you know? So the more mm. I saw that. That is excellent. Sin is way bigger than I thought it was. Yeah, Tim? That everything is for God's glory. Everything, not just heaven, but even hell. Amen. Excellent. God will reconcile the entire world to Christ. And you will either be reconciled in your salvation or in your damnation. <coughs> but you will be reconciled either to the mercy of God or the justice of God. But you will be reconciled in Christ is the reconciler. Um, what did you do with him? Is, is the question that every man has to answer. Yeah. What I'm still learning is um, when you do um, bring the truth of the word of God to someone and they don't take it or they disagree with you, don't take it personally. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, well, well you need to you need to keep disciple me in that a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you, brother. Yeah. I'd say a big one I'm learning is there is no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. Mm -hmm. You're for God or you're against him. You can't serve two masters. Amen. Yeah. I learned that. Yeah, you got another? Yep. I was just thinking that uh, there's some level of deception in our reasoning because of our heart that our flesh will you know will not admit to. So there's always some sort of, of deception, even in our reasoning, our thinking. We have to be aware of constantly be suspect of your own mind, of yeah. your own heart. Yeah. yeah. I think the big thing for me in cycling was understanding that if the scriptures are true, which they believe they are, I am prone to deception. I don't know it. Mm -hmm. and so that underscores so much more how I need a brother that knows me that can sort of press in in an area. And just knowing, like, my response to that is going to probably be pushed back because I'm going to need the Lord to yeah. work in that. And that's a good thing. And so, versus like feeling like it was intrusive. I think at previous times I felt, man, that's super intrusive if someone's doing that with me. Or, 
whatever, but like the change in my thinking that no, I need this because I'm prone to deception. And even if I don't like it at first, it's still a good thing. Um, and so that's motivated me to, to, to do that more um, for others because I'm, I'm convinced that they need yeah. um, whether they recognize it or not. Not to be like, like you're saying, just right. overbearing with them, but you know, intentional in that and trying to develop belonging that. And so uh, just imperfectly, but but that, that was a convictional thing that took to root probably the last several years yeah. in my life. Yeah. So Clay's admonition is you cultivate that. You have to cultivate allowing people to speak in your life, cultivate submission and humility, you know, to others. And then the flip side of that is you'll see the benefit. I mean, you have to cultivate that because your natural tendency is to is to do this, is to keep the wall, you know, up. And um, and then that also means it's very important then who you let do that. So it's really important that you're in a good church. That has the authority of the of the word ruling rather than their thoughts or ideas, or as Mark said, that's that's um, that's the Bible rightly interprets reality. So is their authority there? You don't want somebody tinkering around with your belief systems unless they have the right authority, <laughs> because they need really bad belief system, and that's what you have in a lot of a lot of churches, a lot of different places. So yeah, Harold. Years ago, when I was able to sing specials. Yeah. Song and I used to sing one of my favorites. It asked the question, What will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. Mm. Very convicting. Your life is uh, declaring a verdict one way or the other, isn't it? No middle ground. That's Steve? Growing up in a Christian environment, it was hard for me to, to grasp this, but. Um, what someone that was discipling me early on said, Christ didn't die for your behavior modification. Mm-hmm. He died so that you could get, he could give you a new heart because you're dead. Mm-hmm. You're not, you don't just need an upgrade. You need a complete transformation from the inside out. Mm-hmm. Amen. That's good. Yeah, Jim? I often think of sin as being the commission of sinful acts. But it can be the omission of things like reading the word and prayer. And Amen. Amen. That's one that I wrote down. So I can remember driving down the road. I'd been saved like uh, maybe six months. And it was this, this uh, friend of ours. She was in the church. And I was driving down the road. And I, she was fussing at me to put my seatbelt on. And uh, I, I remember... Remember saying, ah, I don't, I'm not going to worry about that. I mean, God's in control of my life now, so I don't need to put my seatbelt on. And she said, Yeah, but God helps those who help themselves. And I thought, Okay, well, that's pretty good. She's been a Christian a long time, so I put my seatbelt on. That's not a reason not to wear your seatbelt. But that is really bad theology, isn't it? Even bad theology saves your life. God, bad Remember what I was saying about making sure you, you let the right kind of people speak into your life? God helps those who can't help themselves. Where did she come up with that? She heard it somewhere. Uh, and then the other thing I wrote down is what Brother Jim said. Um, sin, it's what we do. That's the idea. It's the surface righteousness. 
but the Bible really digs beneath the surface, doesn't it? Pride, jealousy, envy, slander, malice. Man, now you're really you're you're really digging around in the underwear drawer there. It is. Um, it's omission. It's commission. Ministry of the Spirit. I grew up in a very mystical background, so I was listening, you know, for promptings and the still small voice and. I was, I was really messed up. And I learned that the, the work of the Spirit comes through the Word, the objective truth. I need to appropriate what this says. not Because how do I know? I had a seminary professor say one time, how do you know it was God? How do you know it was the Holy Spirit? How do you know it wasn't the devil? How do you know it wasn't bad pizza? How do you know it wasn't whatever? You don't. I had to answer that. I don't know. Well, I just know. Well, how do you know? How do you know it was the Holy Spirit? Well, you know it's the Holy Spirit if it's if it conforms with the book. But, but what about things that it's not uh, it's not something that's specifically commanded or prohibited? It's a principle. What about if it's an application? I mean, I literally prayed what to wear. You know, God, do you want me to wear this tire? Do you want me to wear that tire? It may sound silly to you today, but it came from the pure motives. I don't want to draw any attention to myself. I saw this principle that when you come to church, you're not to draw attention to yourself. It's all glory to Christ. And I only want it to be about Christ. That's a legitimate principle. That's 1 Timothy chapter 2 when, when the women were coming to church. So, you know, they're coming, look at me, look at me. And Paul says, you need to be a look at Jesus. You need to fall to the back. You need to be a shadow, not a light. And I took that principle, and I'm trying to apply it. I'm asking God, and I'm looking at the tithes, and I'm going, you know, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to, 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 to give me, you know, a prompting. You know, speak to me. That's what I would say. Which one do you want me to wear? I don't drive myself crazy until I learned. The Tracy picks it. The Tracy picks it. <laughs> <laughs> I learned God doesn't care what tie I wear. He gave me the freedom to choose. What he cares about is whether I desire the things he does. And there are some specific things in the Word that he says, this is the will of God. But in other things, I appropriate the Word and then begin to live my life in accordance with the Word. So you help them. You figure out what are areas of flawed thinking in their life. And then you bring the Word to bear. You help them develop new convictions as they learn how to reason, grow in discernment, identify lies they are believing. We are to teach, didasco, 2 Timothy 2, 2, teach them. You are not looking to opinionize or philosophize or else we would violate 1 Corinthians 2, 5 where Paul warns us not to have uh, people's faith rest on the wisdom of, of men. Okay? Women, wear, women wearing pants in church is not the same as the deity of Christ. The type of music that you listen to is not the same as the atonement. Don't flatten everything out. You have to understand how to think through those things, whether it's doctrines and, and you know, convictions, preferences. You have to be able to tear that in your, in your own mind. Um, it's not about you know you just making them like you in the way that you've worked the angles of principles. Now they have to work those angles, and they're not to violate their conscience. But their conscience may 
be in a different place as, as yours. So you have to teach them the principle, and then you have to be okay when they may work the angle of application different from you. Your application is not authoritative. The principle is, and the truth is. So we're not looking to opinionize or philosophize. We, we don't want them to rest on the wisdom of men. We want to teach them the, the Word. So we instruct with propositional truth from the Word of God so that the mind of God is implanted into a disciple's thinking. The mind of, of God. I can remember Brother Edwards, the, the pastor that really did the life-on-life discipleship with me at my ordination, telling the story about it. He told his father that he was going into ministry and his dad said, have you lost your mind? And he said, yes, I have, and I've found the mind of Christ. Um, it may seem like you've lost your mind to other people, unbelievers. But it's not. It's finding the mind of Christ. And you want to form that in others. How do you know the mind of Christ? Not mysticism, but propositional truth from the Word of God. So we're back to where we began which is the word is primary. It's your source. You've got to be in it. You've got to understand it. You've got to know it. This is not passive, gentlemen. This is, this is an unencumbered soldier. This is a hard-working farmer. This is a competitive athlete. All are working toward the reward. But that's why we're, that's why we're here. We're not figure skaters, right? We're going back to our day one. Yeah, Harold? You know what you were talking about losing your mind. I never will forget my oldest son, when he was 12 years old, I thought he was losing his mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, he walked to the room the floor and in his hands and pulled his hair. And I, I took him to a clinical psychologist friend of mine and that didn't help. Uh, I took him to the pastor that didn't help. But to make a long story short, over time we found out that he was fighting with calls and that. I he's away. Mm. And today he's mm. Disobedience can mm. mess you up. <laughs> we're to do Galatians 6.1. Restore. We're to reset the bone. We're to mend the net. We're to set people's thinking back in place for godly, godly living. And sin's not what God intended. Intended. Bad thinking. So cultivation. Uh, I, I think this is, uh, you know, so you've got a life, your life, with the truth. Those are the two components. They're my components of discipleship. And now you got time. This is cultivation. What do you hear when you hear the word cultivate? I like doing the garden. I like digging. But it, it, it's hard work, isn't it? Cultivate. Discipleship's not inoculation. It's not an injection. It's not, you know, fast food. It's not drive-by. It's it's staying in the process for the long haul. Being willing to cut personal time and your enjoyments to spend t- enough time with others, with those who you're discipling. If you obey Christ, if you are serious about obeying Christ, and you should be as a believer, it will cost you. And it will cost you your time. And it will be the most joyous sacrifice that you will ever make. There is no greater joy than to see your children walk in truth, whether it's physical or whether it's others, you know, spiritual. It's there. 
be someone who is willing to set aside personal time to meet needs. Well, that just goes completely contrary to our selfish nature and our culture. Um, I, don't, I wonder, do I like this church's music? wonder, honey, what their children's programs are like. You know, I really like the, you know, the way the pastor introduces the sermon, but well, I'm just not sure about verse by verse. I, I really wish that there was a little bit more, you know, series or in. Why does he use props? You know, I just really like visuals. Where, what, what is all that saying? Where's that coming from? It's consumerism. And here is self-sacrifice. What personal time or enjoyments do you need to give up or to to maybe lay before the Lord and say, is this keeping me? I just don't have time to do this. What's taking up your time? Examine those things. I mean, you know, I like to hunt. You like, I like to fish. I like to do some of those things. I don't do those as much as I want to. Scott was just asking me, you know, do you fish? You used to fish all the time. But I don't do that as much since, since ministry. I don't say that grudgingly. I'm happy to spend and, and be spent. Um, nothing wrong with fishing nothing wrong with hunting nothing wrong with your hobby whatever it is but is that keeping you from obeying Christ does that exhibit a, a level of selfishness in your own heart that you need to slay when you're helping people remember they likely don't have a good sense of spiritual maturity stamina or strength why does it take time? Discipleship takes time. You have to get involved. You have to get in the game, but it's but it's it's it takes time. Don't expect them to become a disciple in nine weeks, and we already talked about that. And your why does it take time? What do you need to be thinking about discipling others, about being people work, about bringing your life with the word? Along with people over time, what what what, what helps do we need to, to put in our our thinking? The person that you're with doesn't always have a good sense of spiritual maturity, stamina, or strength. They're often blind to weakness and sin, and laziness and pride and self-importance and a host of other evil lusts. I can I, I can I can push a replay button and remember some really stupid things that I've said to other people that I regret now. I, I said it so confidently. And I was just ignorant. And now I'm almost embarrassed. Like, how could I even say something like that? People are often blind. And then what Clay said, isn't that the nature of deception? Self-deceived. You don't know. So you need somebody else. And if you're the somebody else that's helping them, remember that they are blind. They are deceived. Hebrews 3, 12-13 is clear that each person needs to be to regularly receive biblical instructive from biblical instruction from objective sources outside of themselves to keep them from unbelief and ultimately apostasy. You need to read or memorize Hebrews 3, 12-13. You don't want an evil heart of unbelief. You do not have, you know, church attendance 
if you just like remove this out, is not a requirement for salvation. But it is. You placing yourself under the word. I'm not saying that you got to do that in order to earn righteousness. But you must be under the word, or your heart will drift. And you can gain an evil heart of unbelief very quickly. You need to sit under sermons. You need grace and granite. You need small group. It has nothing to do with being a good little Christian. It has everything to do with your heart is that wicked. You need it. Like Jonathan was was saying, seeing the depth of our sin. Your level of, of... of understanding how much you need to be at a place like this or on Sunday morning or on Sunday night is directly correlated to, to how how well you understand the depth of your own depravity. <laughs> Whether or not you're an elder, you need to be teachable. First Peter 5 5 carries a key principle that submission to those over you cultivates humility. You mean you're not a naturally humble person. How do you cultivate? Humility, you have to cultivate it. You have to be purposeful. Place yourself under authority. Defer. <coughs> and you need to be teachable. Resisting submission to a discipler when he is giving biblical counsel puts you in the camp of pride and God's opposition. God is opposed to the proud. God does not look on the proud as someone who is intentionally interested in godly living. You need to cultivate humility and teachability. You need to be teachable and humble. Teachable and humble. Over and over and over. Because you don't want God as your enemy. And that's happening in discipleship. Isn't it? And then finally, confirmation. What's the goal in all this? Aim to see Christ formed in them? You need to have goals in mind? Spiritual leadership is being able to identify where somebody is at, be able to see. Is your you can't do that unless you meet with them. Okay, I see some of these areas that may need to be renovated. Need to bring the word of God to bear there. And then you also need to see where they need to go. And then you just develop a plan to get them from point A to point B, which is just walking with them. So you should have goals in mind. Not to recreate a better version. Not to cultivate convictions in the disciple that you personally have as authoritative. The discipler should have the desire to admonish and teach every man until they are complete in Christ. The discipler should continually be faithful with the truth regardless of the response of the disciple, and that is very hard. You give your life you spend your life for the benefit of others. It's very subtle and very easy it to become about others, about yourself rather than rather than Christ. Are you offended when they don't take the truth? Isn't it easy to think, man, I got up at 6 in the morning to go have breakfast with them and they're not doing what they're supposed to do. I prepared that sermon. Really, I worked really hard. I labored, I prayed, and and they didn't even bother showing up and get embittered about that and my eyes are off Christ do what I do it for why do I do it 
Discipler will be persuaded that only the Spirit of God can effect change in the disciple league. John 16.8 And any feeble attempt to manipulate change and push personal influence will only cause harm to the discipler. You are the means, you are the tool, God is the changer. He's the one that does the, does the work. So, your life doesn't have to be perfect. Being under the word yourself. Therefore, there's a credible life. Credible life is not a perfect life, it's a life that's under the word. God's truth. And then you are renovating, bringing their minds in conformity with God's mind, which is in the Word. It takes time. You do it day in and day out over your life. It's the most joyful thing that I do, that you do. Um, and the ultimate goal is that they be matured and look like Christ. And that happens over time. Don't think sanctification only happens in the last five minutes of the sermon. Don't think sanctification is when God convicts you of some huge, horrible sin and you cough the alligator up in the prayer room. That's part of sanctification. But sanctification happens. Sanctification happened this morning. Your minds are being renewed. And it just happens. The drip of truth begins to take residence in your heart and then your life is changed and conformed. Here is your assignment for next week. We are on raw materials. So I want you to look up these Bible passages. 2 Timothy 2.2, Matthew 25, and the rest. And I, Lord willing, will be sending you an email this week. Reminding you of some other things. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for our time and these men. And I do pray that you would sink these truths in my heart. Love me enough to bring other men in my life. Um, the ones that are already there. New ones, more. To bring my life in conformity with your truth where it is outside. And then give me a desire just to do that with others. It's Thank you for these brothers this morning. Bless their day. Um, help them as they go. Protect them and their families. Keep them pure. Guard them from the evil one. I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.